and we can answer without hesitation because we understand all that the question implies. But sometimes the answer is more difficult. And our answer to a difficult why question can often lead us into more questions rather than fewer questions. To answer, why must I wash my hands before tea, is a universe away from why did Jesus die? So where can we find the answer? What is the answer? Well, the short answer is that God loves us. But let's have a closer look at the question, because a short answer often needs a bit more by way of explanation. Very often, the answer to a why question is found in what happened before, what led up to the question. When I was working, I came across a lot of incidents where I asked, what has happened? At the scene of any incident, it might be quite obvious what has happened. Maybe a car has crashed into something. But the next question I would need to ask myself was, why has this happened? Did something go wrong with the car? Did something go wrong with the driver? A fairly common one amongst people over the years is, why do I feel so awful this morning? Well, the answer in a lot of cases lies in what has happened during the previous days or nights. Sometimes it's an excess of food or alcohol that can leave us feeling pretty bad the following day. It's often a case of cause and effect. So what happened in the past that led to Jesus having to die? One of the answers is found very quickly in Romans 3, in verse 23, where it says, yes, all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's standard. You see, God had not long finished His work of creation, and He declared it good. The Garden of Eden was full of everything needed to sustain life, but it needed someone to tend it. God created man in His own image, and part of that image was the ability to choose. God pointed out everything there was to see and only asked that the man that He had created respect His wishes in one very important matter. Do not touch that particular tree or its fruit, or you will surely die. Things went well for quite a time, and God and man enjoyed walking the earth and sharing their thoughts with each other. And God even brought more living things for the man to see. And whatever the man called these things, then that is how they became known. Of course, God didn't spend all of his time with man, and God knew that it wasn't good for the man to be left to do everything around the garden on his own. So God gave the man a companion, and they became a team, each one adding something to the life of the other. It sounds idyllic. It was. But, and there's always a but, the arch enemy of mankind's souls, then and now, began 
his plan to ruin God's enjoyment of what he had created. He set about the task of tempting mankind to doubt God. Now, I know that much has been made of how it was Eve who led Adam into disobedience. But the point here is that greed and pride affected both of them. And so they decided that the serpent was right. God was wrong. God's a killjoy. After all, didn't the fruit of this tree look good? Looked ready to eat? It looked fresh? It looked juicy? So when both Adam and Eve ignored God's instruction and promises, their fate and the fate of all of us who are children of Adam and Eve was sealed. Ever since then, the close relationship of God and mankind changed forever. God's pleasure in what He had created was soured. The companionship and trust was broken, and a huge divide was placed between God and mankind. And the close team of man and woman was replaced by man's struggle to live, woman's struggle with childbirth, and after years of struggle, death. And our bodies returned to the ground from where they came. That idyllic life of work and companionship with God in the Garden of Eden was gone forever. From our birth, we are condemned by Adam and Eve's disobedience, and we are condemned to a life of struggle and then death. Paul writes in Romans 7 and in verse 25, he says, Oh, what a terrible predicament I am in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? Thank God it has been done by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. Why did Jesus die? Well, why did Jesus die? Well, you may have been here when Andy answered another very basic question concerning our faith. The question was, who is Jesus? If we are to understand why Jesus had to die, then we first need to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is God's own Son, come from heaven to live as a human, experiencing all the difficulties and emotions that we now do. And this he, Jesus, is God's answer to our lives of disobedience, a man who would willingly obey God the Father even to death. One answer, perhaps, to our question of why Jesus had to die was out of obedience to God the Father. Jesus died simply because it was the will of God that He did. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, He pleaded with His Father, and it was decided it was the only way. Not my will, but your will be done, Jesus said. Jesus is God's own Son, come from heaven to live as a human, but He did no sin whatsoever. Just after Adam and Eve sinned and lost the fellowship they had with God, God said that He would provide a way for a restoration to take place. And God then, through Abraham, 
gave the promise that from him would come the Messiah, the Savior, one who would put things right between mankind and God himself. And Jesus, from very early on in his life, knew what his purpose was. He knew what he had come to do. The Gospels tell us that he fixed his face to Jerusalem, and he did not turn back. Jesus needed to die because it was God's will that he be killed so that he could be the final and lasting sacrifice for our disobedience and sin. Jesus was completely obedient to God himself. Another reason why Jesus had to die was to fulfill the prophecies about him all the way through the Old Testament. God had worked in his perfect plan to slowly show people what was to come through Jesus. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament demonstrated what was to come. God taught the people that the shedding of blood was needed for the forgiveness of sins. God instituted the sacrificial lamb that we were talking about in Revelation, which would become a foreshadowing of Jesus, the Lamb of God. A lamb without blemish was to become a man without sin. I want to read two particular Scripture readings. You'll find one in Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm just going to read from verses 1 through to 8. You may find that the versions are different, but I think that helps us to think about what we're reading. The old system of Jewish laws gave only a dim foretaste of the good things that Christ would do for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year. But even so, they could never save those who lived under their rules. If they could have, one offering would have been enough. The worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all, and their feeling of guilt would be gone. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their disobedience and guilt instead of relieving their minds. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats really to take away sins." That is why Christ said, as He came into the world, O God, the blood of bulls and goats cannot satisfy you. So you have made ready this body of mine for me to lay as a sacrifice upon your altar. You were not satisfied with the animal sacrifices slain and burnt before you as offerings for sin. Then I said, See, I have come to do your will, to lay down my life just as the Scriptures said that I would. And also, we see that in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, we read these words. In chapter 53, again, verses 1 through to 8, "'But, oh, how few believe it! Who will listen? To whom will God reveal His saving power?' In God's eyes, he, Jesus, was like a tender green shoot 
sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. But in our eyes, there was no attractiveness at all, nothing to make us want Him. We despised Him and rejected Him, a man of sorrows acquainted with the bitterest grief. We turned our backs on Him and looked the other way when He went by. He was despised, and we didn't care. Yet it was our grief He bore, our sorrows that weighed Him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins, but he was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was chastised that we might have peace. He was lashed, and we were healed. We are the ones who strayed away like sheep, we who left God's paths to follow our own. Yet God laid on him the guilt and the sins of every one of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he never said a word. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he stood silent before the ones condemning him. From prison and trial they led him away to his death. But who among the people of that day realized it was their sins that he was dying for, that he was suffering their punishment? Jesus had to die because he was to say to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The story is told of a Confederate soldier sitting desolate outside the White House, looking beaten and dejected. Most people ignored him, but one person saw him there and asked him why he was there. What was it he wanted? Well, what he wanted was to speak to the president. He had a grievance, and he wanted to put his case. It wasn't as if he hadn't tried to speak with the president, but as you can imagine, turning up at the door to the White House and asking to speak to the president was never really likely to see him pass the sentries. Every time he had tried, the sentries crossed their rifles across the doorway and would not let him pass. The young man who had spoken to him said, come with me. They walked right up to the door, and as they approached, the sentries grounded their rifles, saluted, and opened the door. You see, the young man was Tad Lincoln, the son of the president. The son provided access to the father. Jesus the Son of God, who takes away the disobedience and sin of the world, does that for us. He is the way to see God. He is the truth and the life. So why? Why Jesus? And why die? The final reason I believe Jesus had to die is that His death defeated the whole concept of death. He had to die before He could be raised to His new life and positioned by God the Father. I'm sure that many of you will have seen and heard a children's talk where a seed is buried in soil, it's left in the dark for a while, and when we go back to it, we see that new life has appeared. 
It's amazing that just doing that, then when we come back, we see that a small green shoot, just as was talked about in Isaiah 53, comes up from the soil and begins to bloom in the light of day. It's a great picture, actually, of what our Christian lives should be. We start off just a tiny piece of life, feeding on the sunshine of God's grace. And in the fullness of years, absorbing heaven's light, we are being transformed into something beautiful, like David Bainbridge, for example, and others that I'm sure come to your mind. If Jesus had not died and shed His blood on the cross, then forgiveness for our offending God could not take place. The sinless human body that was crushed and laid in a tomb was transformed, changed, through God the Father forgiving all of us, past and present, for our disobedience and sin. Now Jesus is the firstborn of souls that are forgiven. He has gone to heaven to be with His Father, and give us access to God. After Jesus died, and before He returned to His Father, He sent the third person of the Trinity to fill the hearts and minds of the disciples. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and it not only transformed those weak and scared men, it turned the whole world upside down. It released the power of heaven and people were changed from the inside out, more than 3,000 in one day. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it, Andy? God's power, mercy, and grace to forgive us our disobedience and our waywardness can transform us also. To know forgiveness is a wonderful, life-changing thing. I know some kind, caring, much better than me kind of people. But that's not the same thing as accepting that Jesus died on a cross for my particular disobedience, my particular waywardness. We may feel that I'm not as bad as, and you can insert whatever. I'm not really as bad as all that. But you see, because of the disobedience of two people in the Garden of Eden, we are all condemned in God's eyes. Or we were. That's why I'm drawn to the passage in Romans 8. Let's read it again. Romans 8. So there is now no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ Jesus, for the power of the life-giving Spirit, and this power is mine through Christ Jesus, has freed me from the vicious circle of sin and death. We aren't saved from sin's grasp by knowing the commandments of God because we can't and we don't keep them. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent His own Son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful, and destroyed sin's control over us by giving Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So now we can obey God's laws if we are led by the Holy Spirit and no longer obey the old evil nature within us. The day that we accept that Jesus died 
for me is the day that, like the seed in the soil, we are given new life. We are no longer condemned. We are given the Holy Spirit into our lives so that we can become more like Jesus. Amen.